Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Continue our worship through study. Grab your Bibles, turn to Exodus 32. Exodus chapter 32 will be there this morning, verses 12 through 18. Exodus 32, 12 through 18. So it feels like seven verses, but I've got news for you. We're doing more than seven. So on the screen right now are all the verses we'll cover this morning, and it is more than seven. Oh, is that McGowan? Was that you? <laughs> Deep sigh. Yes, this is what we're going to study this morning. Um, we're doing the end here of Moses' time on the top of Mount Sinai, and he will from here make his way down, and much to his chagrin, he will have to be back with the Israelites again. So he spent time with God, and now he's back with them. Uh, it's going to hit him hard when he gets down there, and so that should be fun for next week for our family service. We'll see what God, how he moves from there. Uh, but looking forward to this morning. Um, this, you're going to hear some stuff in here that I'm, you've heard multiple times through the book of Exodus, but there's a wrinkle here. It's a little bit different, but God uh, keeps beating the same drum over and over and over and over again throughout uh, the book of Exodus and really through the Old Testament. So for many of us, we have different ways that we organize time in our mind. Now, I know there's the calendar and all of that, but for many of us, that's not really how we function. The way that you remember memories or that you um, create time places in your mind, often for many of us, it's through seasons. And so it's not officially fall, but many of you are like, no, no, it's fall. It's fall because it's September. And so it's fall. So you got the pumpkins out. How many of you have pumpkins out at your house already? You've already got them decorated. We're going we're gonna to wield this thing forward, aren't we? If I decorate, it will get cooler. That's what I'm going to do. Yep, so you got your pumpkin spice lattes. Everyone's, we're all in. So you mark time by season. Some of you mark time by coffee, coffee shop drinks. That's how you know it's time now to move forward. Um, a lot of us with kids in school, we mark our time based on the school breaks that happen here every six weeks. And then some of you uh, go broke, going on vacation every time. And I don't understand it, uh, but I'm thankful that you, I'm proud of you for doing that. It's right, mark it by school breaks. Uh, many of you, how about this? How many of you mark memories in your life based on what house you were living in at that time? Do you have those memories? This was at the, this was at the Ragsdale Drive. This is at that house. Yeah, you remember that? Or countries, cities you lived in. We mark time based on that. As, um, as people who work in the church, you could ask any of us, we mark time based on the dates of Sundays. I could tell you every date of Sunday to, for the rest of the year, I know what the dates are. Cody and Micah know the Wednesday dates. They know that because it's how we mark time. It's how we get through our year uh, week to week. Well, the Lord is going to give his people, he's already given them, ways to mark time. But we're gonna look at this more in depth here this morning. So let's read through Exodus 32, 31, verses 12 through 18. Did I say 32 before? I did, Jeff? Yes? Well, we all make mistakes. Get off my back. All right, Exodus 31. <laughs> Let's cut that out, Joel, of the podcast. I don't think I meant to say that. Exodus 31, <laughs> verse 12, the Lord said to Moses. Now, if you're paying attention, here's what's awesome. This is the seventh time you've read that statement in the book of Exodus. And the Lord said to Moses. This command, uh, the blueprints God has given to Moses, have all been marked by this statement, the Lord said to Moses. And there have been seven sections 
of blueprints of commands from God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And this just so happens, coincidentally, to be the seventh. He said to Moses, verse 13, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh, the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn or holy rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. That word refreshed in the Hebrew means he exhaled, he breathed out. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So God spends uh, 40 days and 40 nights on top of this mountain with Moses. And many of you have felt like that's how long we've been doing this, studying through this section. But this, it's detailed. It's, um, there's minutia everywhere, colors and threads and fabric and materials and metals. And I mean, it got overwhelming at this point. And God's giving it to Moses. And Moses, I believe the whole time, it's like, I, who's going to build this? Because I don't know how to do any of this. So he's given him all the details, and then he tells him, I'm going to give you two men who are capable of building this. So what Moses has to do now is Moses now has to go down to the people and to tell them, hey, I just spent a good deal of time with God, and he wants us to build something for him. And it feels heavy and burdensome, and it feels very detailed, and it feels like a burden because of how detailed it is. Now, I'm, I love details. I just want to be in control of the details. Anybody else like that? If you're going to make me do something but tell me what the details are, I don't want to do it. But I'm going to tell you what my details are. I'm going to make sure you understand. So Moses gets these details from God, and there's just this burden that falls on him, but he has to tell the Israelite people. Now, I want you to remember a few things, though. These are real people at a real time with real experiences and real emotions and real memories and real pasts. So what's crazy is that he's gonna come down and say to them, God needs you to build something for him. And immediately that's gonna trigger something in them that is not going to make them want to actually build something for God. We read this back in Exodus chapter one, verse eight. There arose a new king over Egypt, a new Pharaoh, who did not know Joseph. Now Joseph was how all the Israelites got into uh, Egypt. And he said, the king says to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Then verse 10, come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So here's their response to make sure they don't do that. Verse 11, therefore they, the Egyptians, set taskmasters over the Israelites to afflict them with heavy burdens. Then pay attention to the next phrase. They built for Pharaoh. Store cities, Pithom and Ramses. So Moses is supposed to come down from the mountain and say, God wants you to build for him. And immediately the trigger is, well, that's what Pharaoh was like. Pharaoh wanted us to build things for him too. So are you saying we're just gonna be slaves to God then? Is that what you're saying? And you can imagine the Israelites' disdain in hearing this. Like, 
Again? Now, on top of that is all sorts of other confusing things for them. At this point in history, there are a number of creation myths floating around. And a couple of them, uh, the main point was that the gods, the gods of the Canaanites, the gods of the Macedonians, these gods had created humans so that the humans would be enslaved to the gods. So they're hearing this from the world, they're hearing this from their past, and they're supposed to hear this from God as, come worship me and build a building. What they're thinking is, we're not gonna be a slave to anyone, we did that. And if your God is like Pharaoh, we're out. And if this God, who sounds just like the other gods, if he's like them, then we're out. This is triggering, will trigger for them something, which is why God gives them something else in the midst of this. They've just heard all of it. And if you're gonna notice here what God has done with it. What's happened here is that even the Babylonian um, myths of creation, what it's done is now it's empowered the religious elite. And they would say, no, no, we were called by our gods to rule over you. And so not only would they be upset with God, considering him Pharaoh or a Babylonian God or a Canaanite God, they would also be upset with Moses because Moses says, hey, God told me to build this, but I'm not gonna build it. You're gonna build it. So then he sounds like an elite saying, no, no, I'm closer to God than you are. You do the work. So what God does is he gives them a sign here. This is what's significant. Look at verse 13 again. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all or before anything else. So I've given you this blueprint. I want you to build a tabernacle. It's where I'm gonna dwell. I want to dwell. But then he says, but you gotta remember, above all else, of utmost importance, and first priority, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Sabbath meaning rest or ceasing from work. And it's not the first time we've heard this. God referenced the Sabbath back with the manna. He gave them the command in the 10 commandments. He referenced it again in, uh, in the laws that would follow that commandment. This is the fourth time we're hearing it in the book of Exodus. For this is a sign between me, God, and you, the Israelites, throughout your generation, that you, this is plural, y'all, that y'all may know that I, the Lord, Yahweh, sanctify you, I set you apart. So bookended here around this of the Sabbath is the commands of the tabernacle, the blueprints, and then verse 18 at the end, which says, he, God, gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written in the finger of God. It's the Ten Commandments. So sandwiched between the command and detail-oriented tabernacle plans and the commandments of God sandwiched in between them is do not forget the Sabbath. Don't forget. And it sounds bad, right? Like don't forget or I'll kill you. That's how bad it is. Now we can read it and we can read that as, man, God's just like the Pharaohs. No, 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 he's not. God's like your father. God's like you are. Because you love your kids enough that you would say, do not do this. And if you do, there are consequences. Is that you being like Pharaoh? I would argue, no, 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 it's you being like God. So no, I love you enough to let you know if you get off here, there are consequences to your behavior. So in between the tabernacle and the tablets sits the Sabbath rest. Now, this is how God is going to keep beating the drum to remind his people who he is and therefore who they are. He's not like Pharaoh and they're not slaves in Egypt anymore. He's trying to remind them of that. And he's reminding them the Genesis account of creation is not like the Babylonian account. 
It's not like the Canaanite accounts because God offers rest to his people. He's not like Pharaoh. He's not like Canaanite and Babylonian gods. And on top of that, they need to know this because if they don't get this, they're never gonna know the heart and character of God. If they don't get this down, they don't get the Sabbaths down, they're gonna miss everything. I spent a few years teaching high school math and what was some of the most frustrating things was what, when high school math students in algebra or geometry or pre-calculus, whenever they would get there and would do their work, they would forget the basic mathematic operations like two plus four equals six. They're advanced in years, they're taking high school level math, but they can't do elementary level things. What's happening here, this Sabbath is elementary level mathematics. All the way down to, this is the number four, Four, it means there's four things. Count to four. One, two, three, four. Count these things. This is elementary. For those of you whose kids play with Legos, uh, it's the basic building block. It's the two by two cube that everything in Lego is built by. This is what the Sabbath is. And God is telling them, I need you to know this because if you don't know this, you lose everything. I need you to understand it. They fail to get this part. They will never know the heart and character of God. So it doesn't stop here. God continues with the Sabbath. And he builds from the day of Sabbath, the Sabbath day, the day of rest, he builds that. From that, he builds years. And from years, he builds crazy, ridiculous things. I'm gonna show it to you. It's in Leviticus 23. You can write it down and study it later. But I'm gonna walk through, um, ironically, coincidentally, seven different Sabbaths or feasts that happen in Leviticus 23. All right, the first one in Leviticus 23 is just the weekly Sabbath. It happens weekly on the seventh day of the week. This is the weekly Sabbath. And again, we have to get this down because everything else is built on this. It's the weekly Sabbath, the weekly day set aside for worship. It's the Sabbath day. From there in Leviticus 23, he moves to the feast of Passover and unleavened bread. This would happen from one Sabbath day to the next Sabbath day, and it begins on the 14th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar. The Feast of Passover, which takes us back to the 10th plague, which is the Passover, the unleavened bread. It's all reminders, but it's all built on the rhythm of the Sabbath day. Now, from there, he gives the Feast of first fruits, which was done in conjunction with that Feast of Passover. It would be the first Sabbath day after the harvest, and they would bring in the first fruits of the harvest and give it as an offering to the Lord. This is the feast of first fruits, all happening in the first six months of the Jewish year. Then you've got the feast of weeks, also called Pentecost. This would have happened seven weeks from Passover. It would have actually happened the day after the seventh, seventh week of Passover, which would have made it the 50th day, Pentecost meaning 50th. All built on the Sabbath. If you don't know when the Sabbath is, you can't plan out your week and then you can't plan out these feasts, which are all remembrances of what God has done. Now from there, it's the end of the first six months and there's a new six months that begins. And after six, you get the number seven. We're doing it, great. At the beginning of the seventh month begins what's called Rosh Hashanah, which for a Jew or an Israelite is the new year. Rosh Hashanah is built of three different feasts. It's, it's like you're gonna experience come November. The end of November through December, you feel like all you've done is eaten. 
and you feel like you haven't worked two days in a row in like three years, that's how it feels. You've got so much piled up, you've got so much debt, you can't pay things, and you feel like you're gonna need to get a new wardrobe because you've eaten so much food. This is Rosh Hashanah for the Jews. It begins with the Feast of Trumpets, which would have been the first day of the seventh month, all built on the Sabbath. The first day of the seventh month is the Feast of Trumpets, which is supposed to hearken back to when God descends on Mount Sinai and they hear the sound of trumpets and the mountains shaking. Now, on the 10th day of the seventh month is what's called the Day of Atonement. But they would offer the sacrifices of atonement. They'd place, the priest would place their hand on one goat and it would be the sins of all of the community and they would send that, that goat out called the scapegoat away from the community. And for a brief moment, that community was sinless. That's what it represents. And the, the day of atonement, the atonement covering, the blood that covers sins, all that happens. The 10th day of the seventh month. And the seventh feast is called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents or the Feast of Tabernacles on the 15th day of the seventh month, all built around the rhythm of the Sabbath day. If they don't get this, they won't get that. If they don't know that two plus four equals six, they'll never be able to figure out geometry. This is important. And so God is telling them, I need you to get this. And if you don't, you will surely die. I need you to get it. Now, it gets better because from that, God takes the year and he builds something even better. In Leviticus chapter 25, verses three through seven, he gives them what's called the Sabbath year. Not just a Sabbath day, not just a Sabbath festival, but a Sabbath year. It's the seventh year. After the six years of doing all of these feasts and all of these festivals and all of these Sabbath days, they would run into what's called the Sabbath year. On the Sabbath year, the year of rest, of ceasing, they needed to stop sowing seed. They needed to give uh, their slaves the year off. And they, instead of making the ground their slave to, to bear whatever they wanted it to bear, they had to let the ground bear whatever it wanted to bear and trust that the sovereignty of God would provide for them. And you know what God would do? He would provide for them. In the seventh year, as the land rests and as the slaves rest, they celebrate Sabbath and the Sabbath year. Now, from there, God gives them what's called the year of Jubilee, which happens the first year after seven groups of seven years, making it the 50th year. Jubilee meaning celebration, meaning hilarity. At the year of Jubilee, everything that happened on the Sabbath year would happen, but it gets even better than that. Listen to this. All debts would be forgiven. All financial obligation would be taken care of. Slaves would be told, you are free to go if you'd like to. You are no longer obligated to us. The year of Jubilee is also referred to as the year of the Lord's favor. So God gives the Israelites the Sabbath. And he says, I need you to get it. This is a sign. This points to something, a relation between you and me. And if you don't get this, you're gonna miss it all. Because from that, he builds the Sabbath festivals. And from the Sabbath festivals, he builds the Sabbath year. From the Sabbath year, he builds the year of Jubilee. Now, that's great for the Jews, right? Good for them. They can keep going without eating bacon and no leaven. Good for them. But what does that mean for us? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked what that means for us. First of all is this. Everything that we stand on as Christians is built on the Jewish faith. It's why I'm so passionate about learning the Old Testament. If we don't know the Old Testament, we'll never know the true New Testament. We'll never know it. And so this is significant. How significant? Well, let me, let me show you. In Luke chapter four, 
Luke chapter four, Jesus has come on the scene. Jesus has been led out to the wilderness to be tempted, and that's not a coincidence. And he's in the wilderness to be tempted, and he passed the test in the wilderness. And in Luke chapter four, verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. This was his hometown. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. What's great about Jesus is that Jesus was a Jewish man, which meant Jesus celebrated and commemorated every Sabbath day. And he celebrated the Sabbath festivals. And he celebrated the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee, if that would have been around, uh, would have kind of gone through when he was there uh, for 33 years. This is Jesus, a Jewish man doing Jewish things. And on the Sabbath, a good Jewish man is at the synagogue. And he's in his hometown and he begins to stand up and read. Verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Not everybody has a Bible. There's a scroll that makes, that circulates. And on that day, that synagogue had Isaiah and they handed it to Jesus. And he found the place where it was written, which if you're taking notes is Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Then look at verse 19. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of jubilee. If they don't know Sabbath days, they don't know Sabbath feasts. And if they don't know Sabbath feasts, they don't know the Sabbath year. If they don't know the Sabbath year, they don't know the year of Jubilee. And if they don't know that, they miss Jesus is the year of Jubilee. Jesus is the Sabbath rest. Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the Messiah. And the fact that today we have Jewish people in the world who still deny Jesus as the the Messiah tells us that they didn't really understand the Sabbath. They've missed it all because they didn't know that two plus four equals six. And my fear for you and me is that we're not that far off. And so Jesus reveals himself on the Sabbath day in the synagogue, which is awesome, right? I mean, that's awesome. But as he continues, he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him because he just said, What Isaiah was prophesying about is happening. It's me. But then he says this, and I love it. In verse 21, he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Then he dropped the mic and walked out. (laughs) I mean, come on. You're a Jew who has observed Sabbath days and Sabbath feasts and festivals and the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee. And this Jewish man on the Sabbath day in the synagogue after temptation in the wilderness says, that's all about me. I mean, what a moment. But God is like that midnight telemarketer or uh, commercial guy. He's gonna say, but, but wait, there's more. There's more from there. Jesus uh, ministers for three and a half years. This is the beginning of his earthly ministry. He ministers for three and a half years. As a Jewish man, you know what he does? He observes the Sabbath day. And he observes the Sabbath festivals. And he participates in Passover, the Feast of Booths. He does all of it. But there's this moment when he's 33 years old that he is arrested by the Roman authorities and he stands before Pilate. 
And in John chapter 19, verse 14, that day that he was arrested and stands before Pilate happened to be the day of the preparation of the Passover. Now, what does that mean? Well, that, what that means is when Jesus is arrested and the day after that when he is on trial, it is the day before the Passover celebration would have begun. And the Passover celebration was told to them in Leviticus 23, which was told to them back when the 10th plague happened back in Exodus. It's almost as if God had the whole thing planned. And then in Galatians 4, when Paul says that at the perfect time, God sent his son born of a virgin, he meant more than just it's time. What he meant was I've got it all ready now. And he set up the dates in a way that on this day would have been the preparation, the day before the Passover. But what's crazy is that it wasn't just the day before the Passover, it was the day before the Sabbath. So the Passover would just fall on, it just depended, random days, depending on how the moon was, like the, whatever. I don't know how that works. Some of you do, that's fine. So it'd be random days, like Christmas is for us. It's not always the same day. But every once in a while, Passover and Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, would all fall on the same day. And it just so happened that at this year, when Jesus would be arrested and crucified, that the Passover feast would fall on the same day as the Sabbath day, which John in chapter 19, 31 says, since it was the day of preparation, so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. That high day means it's when the combination of Sabbath day and Passover Sabbath all overlaps, meaning something significant is happening right now. It's gonna happen for you and me this year. You know why? Because Christmas is on a Sunday. And you're gonna be tempted to say, ah, oh, yeah, we got family stuff. Do you have family stuff? I think you got Jesus stuff to do. Because it's his birthday. So you can stay home and miss the party if you want to. I'm just saying, every so often, these things overlap. Enough guilting. We'll do more of that in December. <laughs> so this day is significant. And it just so happens that because the next day is the Sabbath, they would have had to prepare a day ahead of time, which means Jesus had the Passover meal on a Thursday instead of on the right day of Passover. It also means this, that because of the next day being a Sabbath, they weren't gonna do any work on that day, so Jesus had to be laid in a borrowed tomb, which means that something significant was going to happen in another day. John chapter 19, verse 40, they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Great things happen in gardens in the Bible. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, both for the Sabbath and the Passover, all one day, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Then look at this, John chapter 20, verse one. Now on the first day of the week, you know what day that would have been? In our weekly calendar, a Sunday. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. It's almost like God planned something here. And there's a shift happening. Because for the Jews, what they had to remember is that the Lord is the one who set them free from slavery in Egypt. You know what you and I have to remember as Christians? That it's the Lord who set you and I free from slavery to sin. And how do we remember that? We commemorate the resurrection. How do we commemorate the resurrection? We come to church. 
It's like he's doing something. But wait, there's more. 50 days later, which would have been on the Feast of Pentecost, Acts chapter two, verse one, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, the disciples and followers were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When on the day of Pentecost, which takes us back to Leviticus 23, which takes us back to what God has been doing from the beginning of time, on the seventh day he rested. And if you're counting 50 days from the first Passover Sabbath would have been a Sunday. So I say all that to say this. For many of us, what's happened for us is that Sunday has become an obligation instead of an honor. Sunday has become something we have to do instead of something that we get to do. Because we've missed this, our worship has felt like slavery. And some of you don't want to be here right now. But you're here because your mom made you come, your grandma made you come, your dad woke you up, your wife made you come. And I'm just saying, if you miss this, you're gonna miss the whole thing. How do I know that we view our celebration as a have to instead of a get to? Because we are an angry, vengeful, victimized, edgy people. And if you have kids, you know what that means. You need a nap. Right? I mean, you need to rest. And not physical rest. I mean, like, your soul needs to rest. And so when God gives the commands, he gives them tabernacle work to do. He says, but never, never let the tabernacle work take away from the Sabbath rest because every t- even tabernacle work needs to give way to Sabbath rest. And so maybe you're a good little Christian boy and maybe you checked all the boxes and maybe you haven't missed church in 10 years and maybe you do your devotions and you pray and, and you never cuss and you listen to, to Christian music, maybe. But maybe that's become obligation to you. And so maybe coming on a Sunday, it's not about worship. This is about checking a box. This is about obligation. This is about being a slave. You feel obligated rather than liberated. And I'm here to tell you, you can lay aside the tabernacle work to experience the Sabbath rest of Jesus today. That's what I'm saying to you. Because I think that's what God was saying to the Israelites. If you get this, you get it all. It's why he sandwiched this command between the tabernacle blueprints and the testimony of the tablets. So we have to understand something first about Sabbath. Back in Exodus 31, verse 14, God says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. It's holy for you. It's a gift for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Why? It's a gift for you. Don't abuse it. There's consequences if you do. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Okay, so if we stop there, we're like, yeah, man, look at that gift that God gave me. What that means is vacation. That's what that means. If we stop at verse 14 and God says, listen, I'm giving you this day of rest. What I want you to do is go on vacation. 
What I want you to do is I want you to lay on the couch and do nothing. That's what I want you to do. If we stop at 14, that's what we think it means. So what that means to us is, I mean, I could go to church or I could go play golf. I could go to church or I could go play ball. I could go to church or I could sleep. If we stop at 14, what we think is, okay. The problem is the Bible doesn't stop at 14 because 15 comes after 14. And 15 says this. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord, meaning it belongs to him, which means you're going to like this, you old school Baptist. This is the Lord's day. It's not your day. It is not your day to do nothing. It is not your day to get refreshing or, or to get a rest. That's not your day. It is his day. Let me explain it to you this way. If my dad from North Georgia calls me and says, hey, I took the day off. I'm coming down to see you. You know what just happened to my day? What I wanted to do, I'm no longer doing. I'm doing what he wants to do. Why? It's his day off. And because of that, I'm rearranging my day because I want to spend time with my father. That's why. It's not obligation most of the time, <laughs> right? I mean, it's if, if we're in the right place. So here's what I'm saying. The Lord's day, it's his day, it's his, which means he gets to tell you what to do on it, which means he gets to tell you and me to rearrange our schedules, which means whatever you thought you were doing, you're not doing and it means that God is so good, it's for you, which means it's gonna be better to do what he wants you to do than what you want to do. It's better. It's for you. It's for you. It's his. But he's taking the day and he's coming to see you and it's for you. I mean, he can't wait to see you. He's got a whole day planned for you. He took off work for you. Now, you can stay with your schedule if you want to, and that's fine, but you'll miss God. You'll miss God in it. And I know you'll see God those places at the lake. I know, I know. But if it's his day, I would just say we do it his way. So in Mark chapter two, Jesus is showing what the Sabbath actually is. And the Jews had gotten so obligated by the Sabbath, they had a whole list of things you could and could not do on the Sabbath day. I mean, it was just ridiculous things. So Jesus shows up and he and his disciples are hungry. So they're walking through the grain fields and they're plucking grains to eat. And the leaders are like, you know, you know what day it is, right? Like they're gonna ask Jesus, do you know what day it is? And Jesus says, yeah, it's the Sabbath. So he says in verse 27 of Mark chapter two, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. This is... It's for us, it's for man. It's for man to be with God. But then he says this in verse 28. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. What he says is this day is mine now. Which means if I wanna pluck grain on today, I'm gonna pluck grain today. If I wanna heal somebody today, I'm gonna heal somebody today. Because it's my day. It's for them. They aren't enslaved to it. They aren't obligated to it. It's a gift to them. But I got some things I need to get done. I want to do today. And I want them to be able to do it with me. So I say all that to say this. We are to worship through the Sabbath. It is the fundamental building block of our walk with Jesus. 
It's for us to remember who he is. This day set aside is a day to remember that. It's not a vacation or a way to recharge or a day off. Although it might recharge you. Although you might actually feel rested because that's how good God is. But what it is, it's a day set aside to remember that he has set you aside. You aren't like the world. You don't work 24-7, 365. You aren't defined by your paycheck. You aren't defined by your job title. You're defined by being a son or a daughter of the king. And the king is in town and he wants to see his kids. And that was the whole point of the seventh day in Genesis. It was to be with God. That was the whole point. He did all the work in six days so they could not just be with him. And yeah, there was work to do. We covered that last week. But in their working was to be with him. And the plan was for this seventh day to go on perpetually forever. Like that was the point. This Sabbath rest with God in the presence of God. But humanity broke it. And so what was supposed to be forever on this earth now has shifted and changed for us. And for the Israelites, God said there's a rest coming in the promised land if you want to inherit it. And while you're on the way there, I've built in moments of rest that you could be reminded that you aren't what you do. You are whose you are and you are mine and I'm coming to town. And the hope was when they got to the promised land, they would set up all these things that they might actually be enter into his rest. But they don't. So for you and me, we're also journeying towards our own promised land, our own Canaan of heaven. And in heaven, it is like the seventh day in the Garden of Eden. There's no more striving. There's no more work to be done. It's just the presence of God and delight and joy and worship. And what he's given you and me today is a way to experience that before we get there. And the experience is a day of rest. It's the Sabbath, a day of ceasing to experience the presence of God. So you and I, on our Sabbath, what we get to taste is heaven. Man, like what we do here is a taste of what heaven is like. It's what heaven is like. And you miss, don't miss it. This is, we get to taste it. And when there's rest, there is no striving. There's no fear. There's no worry. There's no separation. You can confess and lay it all down and be joined to the Father what God calls Sabbath rest to just be with him. So in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says it this way, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. For My burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What he's saying is I've got an interpretation of the law that I think you're going to like. I want you to come to me. Don't run to the job. Don't run to the effort and the striving and the worry and the fear. Run to me. And we get to do that. We get to run to him. We get to run to him. In Hebrews chapter four, the author of Hebrews is making the point about the Israelites not entering into the rest. And he makes the point that if they didn't enter the rest in the promised land, what that must mean is that the rest is still available for you and for me. Like if the rest wasn't Canaan, what is the rest? And he's, the author of Hebrews is saying, well, the rest is to be with Jesus. That's the rest. 
And what that means is it's available for you and for me. That feeling you have, the, the edginess, the frustration, the anger, the striving, the exhaustion, you don't have to bear it. You don't have to do it. Because you can come to him because he has become our Sabbath rest. It's why the resurrection day has become our worship day, to remind us that when you come on a Sunday, it's the day of resurrection. And we celebrate Easter every Sunday. He's alive. Sin did not win. Your sin did not win. He won. And when you come here, you get to sing about it and study about it and fellowship about it. That's the point. Are you weary and heavy laden? Come to Jesus. Hebrews chapter four, the author continues and says, and you know what the day is of salvation? Today. Today is the day of rest. Today is the day of salvation. And then he says, we need to work hard that we might enter into that rest. So here's the work. The work is to fight through the way of the world that says you are defined by what you do or what you haven't done. The work is to lay aside guilt and shame and recognize you've been set free from the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb. The work is to fight against your flesh to walk in the spirit. We need to make every effort to enter into that rest this morning. So maybe some of you this morning, you've never entered the rest. Sure, you've kept the obligation, but you're angry, aren't you? And you're frustrated and you're edgy and no physical nap will satisfy what spiritual rest will give to you through the Sabbath. So my invitation to you today is to come to Jesus, you who are burdened and heavy laden. For there you will find rest for your soul. It's to believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. That when he proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor, that cemented it. And when he gave his life on that Passover as the Passover lamb, it confirmed it. And when he rose from the dead that new Sunday morning, it changed everything. You can come to him today to find rest for your soul. But I believe that many of us, though, that's not the issue for us. The issue for us is that the tabernacle work has become burdensome to us because we've neglected the Sabbath rest. Man, if church is an obligation for you, I'm so sorry. It should not be that way but I refuse to believe it's because of someone else's fault. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the reason it feels like an obligation. It feels like a have to instead of a get to. To worship the Lord is meant to liberate, not to obligate. Let's find freedom there today. So maybe today you've got to confess a few things that you've neglected the Sabbath rest. The resting in Jesus. So you're earning and proving and striving. Today's the day of salvation for you. Just bow your heads and close your eyes and let's just talk for a second. I wonder how many of us today would say, yeah, worship has begun to feel more like slavery to me. It sounds like the way of the world. And I'm frustrated and angry and I'm tired and exhausted. And to be honest, I don't want to be here. I didn't want to be here. 
this just feels like another thing I have to do today before I get to do the things that I want to. How many of you honestly raise your hands and say, yeah, worship has become that for me. I don't like it, but I feel that way. I feel like I'm obligated. Praise the Lord for your honesty. I wonder how many of us today, you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I need soul rest today. I need my soul to, would you raise your hands? That's what I need. I need my soul to be settled. I need my soul to rest. I need to find delight and joy again. It's a get to, not a have to. Well, the invitation is there for you today. I'm gonna pray. We got staff and elders and deacons I know who'd love to pray with you and small group leaders. I'm gonna pray if you need to talk, we'd love to talk, but I want to give you freedom today to rest in the finished work of Jesus. God, we love you. Uh, Forgive us for the times that we've neglected the building block of Sabbath rest. Seems like on that very thing, you've built a lot of our faith. And if we were to reverse engineer, we might get back to the point where we've recognized that's what we've neglected. We've misunderstood, we've miscalculated, we misheard. So God, would you correct in our own souls the ways that we've gotten it wrong? Stir up in us an affection for you. Help us to take full advantage of the rest of Sabbath we might find that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, that you aren't like Pharaoh, you're not like those other false gods. You are Yahweh, the God who has set us free from slavery to sin. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.